Hands off parenting. It's just hands off parenting. Put that down. Don't touch that. Stop it. Where's the line? Okay. Every episode we start. Take two. Is Good. it working now? We must sound but like morons. Can, welcome to Hands Off Parents. Hi. Welcome to Hands Off Parents. I'm Abby. I'm Steph. I made my husband disappear. No. no. Oh. I'm sure he wished that I did. <laughs> he had the flu last week, and I was like, how'd you like your vacation? Because he got to be quarantined for five days. That sounds lovely. Like, you didn't have to do <laughs> shit for five days but be sick. It sounds incredible. Anyway, I made him meet me at our, I'm going to call her a stockbroker, okay. financial advisor. Okay. Okay. At this meeting that today? we had set today okay. at 1130, I reminded him no less than five times. I sent a calendar thing. Okay. You know, I was like. Made sure he knew where it was, the suite number, all that jazz. Got there to the office, and the guy's like, Ooh, we don't have a meeting today. Oh, no. Totally. I was like, Yeah, no, no we do. But my was husband's Mike coming. With you? Oh, okay. He was like parking. I was like, he, okay. he's, he's down, He left work. He's coming. We have a meeting. I have it written down. It's in my calendar. <laughs> so that means it's true. <laughs> he's like, let me show you what I have. He shows me the last correspondence that I had had. Yeah. She had emailed me like, does this time work? I had never emailed her back. I had just instead emailed Mike being like, does this time work? And then never communicated with her again about it. I had just put it in my account. Pregnancy brain? Yeah. Is it's real. real. <laughs> it's real. I mean, I was just like... Okay, nothing to see here. The, uh, I'm going to use the bathroom because it's nice yeah. in this building. And uh, thank you for validating my parking. And Mike, I'll see you at home. Oh, uh, that stinks. Luckily, I have a really nice husband. So he, he, he wasn't understood. like, you fool. <laughs> what did you do to me? He was just like, oh, pregnancy. You anyway. silly lady. Take your shoes off. Get in the kitchen. <laughs> I mean, there's no, there's no brain in my head. <laughs> How are you doing? You had a great birthday party this weekend. Yes, my kids turned four. We had a great birthday party at the Rainforest Cafe. Abby That's reinvented. Yeah, she reinvented the the birthday party. We just had only a couple friends. No yeah. one really. And we the, just ate, we lunch. ate lunch. And then we left and we went home and ate cake. And the kids had a great time. Yeah, they had fun. I think they had fun. They opened all the presents and... I commented yeah. on how I enjoyed it because I got to sit down, eat something. Yeah. Like, I didn't leave feeling like every ounce of fuel in my body had been drained no. out, like, the kids violently. The kids really, like, nicely sat together and played, and it was they very did. bizarre. They yeah. sat on one side, we sat yeah. on the other. We ignored them. It was great. One point, one of the moms was like, I think Jack's hurt. I was like, no, no, he's fine. He's fine. He just can't get his head from underneath the table. It's not <laughs> a big deal. A large head. <laughs> Speaking of large heads, nope. <laughs> <laughs> not not going to work. Speak, try Speaking it. Of being smart. Yeah. Okay. Um, we have a wonderful guest with us today. Her name is Sarah Becker. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. So I just briefly met Sarah through, I guess, kind of social media was, I don't even know. I inserted myself in a social media conversation on a neighborhood <laughs> Facebook page. Which was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> about schools. And I had talked about this on the show several months back about integrated schools. And I mentioned you. Awesome. I don't know if I mentioned you by name, but I yeah. mentioned the whole program and the idea. Um Okay, so introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit sure. about you and your background. Sure. Um, so again, my name's Sarah, and I am a school psychologist by trade, um, but I stopped practicing when I had my first child six years ago, almost seven. She's about to turn seven. Uh, we have, my husband and I have three kids, um, and a few years ago when my daughter was 
in pre-K three in Houston schools, um, she came home talking about how she wasn't getting recess on testing days. And that was obviously alarming to my husband and myself. And so we showed that brought us to our first school board meeting to talk about standardized testing and its many ills. Um, and as we did that, we realized, oh, wow, there's a whole lot of issues that are really important. And we're looking at the next 20 years in HISD with our three kids. Yeah. Um, this stuff is important. We should show up next month. And so we did. And then the month after that, and then all of a sudden it's been almost three years now, kind of hard to believe. And, um, about a year and a half ago, we decided to put up a webpage because I kept having individual conversations with parents about what was going on in the schools and how they needed to pay attention. But also knowing that most parents don't have the luxury nor the passion (laughs) to sit through a five hour school board meeting once or twice a month, but we do and have invested the time and, you know, want others to benefit from that. And so we put up our website and we've called ourselves HIC parent advocates. It's really nothing formal. It's me and my husband and a couple of our friends who our, our, our bread and butter is, is, uh, letting people know, summarizing, uh, doing a, a short recap after each board meeting and letting people know what's going on. But as of late, there's definitely been a lot going on on the HIC school board. Yeah. So we've had a lot of activity lately. So I- I'm really, uh, riveted by this because I'm going to say riveted. I feel it. (laughs) I love Um, that. I like to hear that people are riveted. Yeah. I mean, anytime parents make that transition into advocates, you know, like it's so great. And I feel like we all, you know, you have three kids. Yeah. You you know, you have a lot of shit to do. You go to a five hour meeting. (laughs) I mean, I took a shower for something like four days today because I had a meeting that that I didn't have. Um, Right. But anyway. (laughs) Enough about me. Um, But I think you find the time. If you're passionate about something, you find the time. And, and, you know, I've talked before, like me and these two other moms were the reason why we got this legislation passed in Texas. Mm -hmm. You know, like you, you find something that you're passionate about and you go for it. And the, and what you realize is you can affect change. You, you can, you think like, well, the system's too large. I can't do it. But I love that you're a walking example of that. Um, and I was also mentioning before we started that a friend of mine who's been on the podcast twice, our, our famous author right. friend, Jennifer Mathieu. Mm-hmm. She's been on twice. Yes. She's been on twice. Yeah. And I probably mentioned her, mentioned her <laughs> probably every, every single pod. episode. <laughs> yeah. Why doesn't she sponsor us? <laughs> Forget Seriously. rainforest cafe. But, um, <laughs> she wrote something on Twitter today about how prior to the 2016 election, she thought it was enough just to go to a presidential, uh, can uh, uh, voting, voting, <laughs> voting to vote, to vote. Yeah. That was like the years. extent of yeah, her years. involvement. And now she's phone baking. She's block walking. She's donating money. She's doing make five calls.org. You know, like the landscape has changed so much and complacency is not okay anymore. Yeah. And, um, you are doing that. So, um, bravo to you and your husband. Yeah. Um, and also, I just kind of would lo- like you guys, t- you guys, he's not here. Imagine he is. <laughs> you you and him, imaginary husband. Summarize what's going on with HISD right yeah. now because it's some stuff. And then maybe we can try to tie that to national larger picture. You know, what's going on with public yeah. education. Sure. There's a lot that's going on with the HISD board. So you were talking about elections. We just had... Uh, 
there's nine trustees who run the HIC board, single member districts. So no, no at large, every trustee has their own piece of the district that they represent. Um, and so we actually had, because of some weird circumstances, six of the nine seats were just up for election and they're all filled. The new board was just sworn in a few weeks ago in January um, and they had their first board meeting, and then two days later, <laughs> the administration brought them three huge proposals, any of which easily would have been the biggest decision alone that a board would have made during an entire school year, but they were all presented at once, I would argue, probably by design. Right. Um, and so, I mean, I've been overwhelmed just watching. I'm certainly not a trustee, so I yeah, can't just imagine. reading all the right. news articles about it. I'm like, <laughs> right. what are you talking about? And there's about? not been, yeah, there's not even been extensive coverage about each of the things because literally there's so much going on. So the first proposal that they were presented was to basically change how our schools are funded to go from a decentralized model where principals um, are basically kings and queens of their own fiefdoms and they get handed a pot of money and get to decide how to spend it and what staff to hire and that kind of thing versus having a more centralized system where the administration and the board presumably have more control and get to say, no, this is our expectation. This is our baseline for each HISD school. This is what we want a minimum at a minimum our campuses to look like. Um, even though Kronza hasn't come out and said it, I would say this is really about control Right. Um, he, Carranza is the superintendent. The yes. superintendent, yes. Thank you. Um, and so it's kind of about who gets to decide how the money is spent. Um, and to top it all off, we are facing a two hundred million dollar shortfall. So that's some that's also playing in here. But th they're really two separate. The con like, there's the control issue and who gets to decide, and then there's the shortfall. But it's all being kind of all mixed together. Yeah, and that is my frustration. Yes, right. I wish that messaging would be clearer it's because I you have and me both. no I idea. I mean, that's, that's part of why we yeah. do the work that we do to try and cut through and understand because the the administration has a PR office, a PR budget. They have, I don't know, like 10 or 12 staffers in that office who all they do is spend or not. I mean, some of the stuff they've been really just silent on. Yeah. And so trying like them and yeah. So trying to understand and make it and talk about it in terms that parents can understand because there is a whole, as I'm sure you guys have experienced being parents, like there's a whole other language of people that run schools and principals and in public schools in general, whether you're in special ed or whatever, like schools have their own language around how they run. HISD has its own specific language. Mm -hmm. So trying, it's exactly it. Trying to make sure people can understand is really, it's part of why we do what we do. And I think just to like, for people who are not that close to this, just to back up for a second, like we had this vote about this recapture money. So we, we, the state wants our money and I don't even want to, I can't even go into the whole thing. It's so hard it's to so describe. Confusing. But it's basically if you're like a, a rich, wealthy district, which is just laughable to think about, you owe a certain amount of dollars to the state. Yeah. And it was like essentially like a pay now or pay later. Because yes. in, so in Texas, we fund our schools by property taxes. That's kind of at the crux of all of this. We don't have a state income tax. Yes. I think it's actually written into our constitution that we won't have a state income tax. So because of that, there has to be a method for equalizing wealth because Houston's sitting on a huge property tax base with downtown Houston and the Galleria. And so yeah. theoretically, it's not fair versus Aldean right up the road. They don't have the same property tax yes. base. And so, yes. It's like a, a separate share the wealth. Right. We have to, it's, it's the state basically coming in and saying, okay, I mean, they literally said you've reached your ceiling of the amount of wealth per student that you can have. 
So we're going to take some back. Now, it doesn't – the problem and where the rub is is that they've also underfunded education. Okay, yeah, this is what I was about to say. Yeah. First issue is that truly, once again, this is the fault of the, the state, state legislature. Yes. We're fighting amongst ourselves here. Right. But truly, the issue is we live in a state that doesn't give a shit no. about funding no. our schools. And they have been – it's been dropping. I mean, you can see the We're like amount. 40 yeah. – right. I mean, we're down to like I think thirty-eight to thirty-seven percent of education funding. Uh, well. they, it used to be closer to fifty. So, uh, in, you know, recently, um, so it's been dropping and drastically quickly. So that's where a lot of the, um, you know, that's where a lot of the pushback needs to be. So, so there's that. So that's why it seems so outrageous. And they also haven't updated the weight. So you were talking about HIC being. Maybe we're property rich, but our students, most of our students are in poverty. Yes. We know students in poverty cost more to educate, but the state doesn't recognize that in their funding formulas. And so if they would adjust those funding formulas, our recapture payment would go down, but they haven't adjusted those in like 20 years or something. Why would they? it's hard. I, I mean, my husband and I were very firm that if you're, in, if you're in favor of equity, you have to be for it all the time, even when it's not convenient. And so as long as we fund by property taxes, if you're for equity, you should be in favor of recapture. The problem is the funding formulas. But I totally understand why the no vote happened and why people were so upset. So originally, Houston ISD voters said, no, we're not going to send the money back to the state because they had to hold an election to get voter approval. But then we came back and held a second election. Which made no sense because they just like asked the question in a different way. They were like, now will you do it? And (laughs) people were like, oh, okay, now I guess. There was an article. There's been a lot of coverage on this. But Lisa Falkenberg, I liked her article describing equity. Oh, talking about the The boxes. Yes. So basically what, what she's saying is you've got three kids standing right you may have over. seen like it's a meme or it right, gets shared yeah. a lot online so just do you, do you know so can you describe the the picture yeah i mean well the gist is that equality and equity are not the same thing that giving everybody kind of what we're talking about it costs more money to educate kids in poverty kids who are in have special needs english language learners right there's all these populations that have special needs and that you can't just say, okay, we're going to give everybody the same thing. Because then people's needs don't get met. Exactly. Right. So right. that there's like a shorter boy and a taller boy. And that, you know, if you give them all the same exact box, they still can't see over the wall. Right. But if you give the shortest one a taller box. Right. And then the one that's super tall doesn't get any box. And then, then they're equal. Yes. Right. So. I agree with that. No doubt. But I think. uh I, I, I guess wh- where I disagree with Lisa is that I I see that the PUA model has created huge inequities. There are campuses in our district that don't have libraries. There yeah. are campuses that don't have nurses and librarians. And we cannot I, – I, I'm not sure what the solution is, but I know we, can't con- we cannot just continue like we've continued. And what I feel like I've read in a lot of her writing around this, and she's written two or three pieces now, mm-hmm. is an argument to keep the current model. And I – I I certainly don't support that. I mean, I say I don't know obviously enough about it as a parent, but as like somebody's read about it and as a bystander, I guess it just feels broken. Like it just feels right. like something's wrong. Well, I don't know what's the solution, right. but it's not working. And you know, we're talking about the state of Texas underfunding, and and I totally agree with that. But I also think we have to get our HIC house in order. We have a two billion dollar budget. One billion goes to the classroom. 
That's only half. Mm -hmm. So I think we've got to get our priorities in order. And part of that to me, being an observer for the board for the last three years and watching the budget votes for the last couple of years, there is no, it is impossible in a decentralized system for the board of trustees to really know where the money is going because it's just, this money is going to this school and that's, that's the level of detail that they're getting. So it's hard to know exactly where the breakdown is. Like, I don't even think we know where the problem is enough to, we just, you just hear stories. Right. Like Carranza keeps citing there's a principal, uh, campus with 15 assistant principals. Yeah. That I've seen, I've read that seven times. Right. Yeah. Where is that? Yeah. I don't know where that school I don't, is. I don't know what school it yeah. is, but that's an example, right? Decentralization run amok. Which maybe, maybe not. Maybe they have a population of discipline problems and special ed kids of administrators need to be sitting in ARD meetings all day. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's hard it to justify so, that. So <laughs> but, like hard to, to picture a school that is like that doing that well. I mean, certainly there's wealthy areas, but even so, those schools. And, and I yeah. have disagreed with Superintendent Kranz on lots of things, but his some of the things that he's saying about decentralization make sense to me. Like that we need, you know, the board needs to be able to, to set minimum standards for what schools look like, and you can't, it's trickier to do that in a decentralized model. It's basically um, bigger government versus not bigger government. I know, it's the same argument. Well, yeah. and then there's a third issue that we haven't talked about, which is the magnet issue right yeah that was, the, that was the second issue okay yes. okay okay because <laughs> no, that's yeah. that's something that's wrapped into this as right. well that right. these all all three of these things are connected for sure and i having taught in magnet schools and attended magnet schools here as a student you know have been rah rah of course yay yay and i know that the reason that they were invented was because of integration yeah that's the entire reason that they that came to be mm-hmm you know, you have this one, this love of this one thing, and we can send kids to this school from all different walks of life, and they'll learn this thing together, and they will be united in their passion for learning. Um, but what is happening is that kids from poorer neighborhoods, kids who don't have as much access, don't even know how to begin that application right. process. So very complicated. It's very complicated. It's so complicated. Right. I mean, you just, you're yeah. going through it with your kids right now, right? And so there are you know, they're not doing it. And I talk to parents all the time where I'm like, do you know about the deadline? Do you know about this? Do you know? Because yeah. I know. Well, and you have to do it. I mean, six months in advance. That's right. Heaven forbid you move to HIC in the summer before, like you can't get into a magnet. Yeah. Right. But my, you know, my concern is that the magnet program is something that is so special about the district and it's something that is so um, unique and it's why people stay in the district. It's why people want to come back and send their kids to the district I'm afraid of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. I don't think getting rid of all magnets is the appropriate response. And again, I'm confused about, are we worried about magnets or decentralization or the shortfall or what What? are we worried? I can't tell. Right. And now it seems like everyone's like, well, it's pretty effed up right now. So let's just throw everything (laughs) on the same bandwagon and call it a day. Right. Let's just solve all of our problems. And so though the magnet program for people who are not familiar, it's like, you you have a specialized program, your STEM or your STEAM or whatever, and right. then you get Montessori. more money. Mm-hmm. So that's right. The more kids that you have, or the more attendance that they attend, right? the more kids they attract. Yeah, for enrollment. They mm-hmm. get more money. Mm-hmm. So that's also messed up the funding because then there's schools that are not magnet that are missing out, and they're like, wait, we we want to be magnet too. Yeah. How do we get to? And them? then there's schools that are double, triple dipping. You've got gifted and talented yeah. money. You've got magnet money, and that's where we become like a mess. That's where you get some yeah. schools with no libraries exactly. and some schools with 3D printers. Yeah, right. Yes. <laughs> like yes. it's. It's right. hard to reconcile. Yeah. And um, it seems like we also need to point out that 
HISD is the largest district in the state of Texas. Yes, I mean, it's huge. It's the seventh largest district in the district in the country. And there you go. It's like in, in any sort of urban school district has gone through these kinds of, right. of yeah. pains. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think integration, segregation especially are issues that are pressing school districts all around the country. I yeah. think um, if you haven't had a chance to check out Nicole Hannah-Jones, she did a podcast that kind of started the conversation a couple of years ago called The Problem We All Live With, which yes. is tied after yes. the Norman Rockwall painting. Um, and this was Bridges. on This American Life. Right, This American <laughs> Life. Um, and she Another was a two-part series. And I, it really, and she's, yeah, she's a woman of, a black woman who has done a ton of investigative journalism around this issue. And I mean, I've been following her for a, f- a couple of years now since that podcast. And I think what really speaks to me is um, lately, I feel like she's been very poignant about if I could just get white liberals <laughs> to live their values. And then I think that this world would be a better place if people actually believed that their kids would be that all kids were equal and that sitting in a classroom with kids in poverty is not a bad thing yeah it's actually a good thing for everybody then you know we're all great until you start talking about our, our kids and yep. our schools yep. I mean I will tell you because I, I've had these conversations in my community and if there's one way you want to lose friends real quick like it's to have these conversations but I also think we have to have them sure. right? I think Nicole Hannah Jones is right like we have to have them things are getting worse not better and until we all acknowledge our our collective role in that, I don't think it can get better. And I think we have to talk about how we pick schools and we, you know, we try very hard. And I I mean, I I will be the first to admit, like I've done it too, of, of divorcing our language from what's actually going on. We talk about schools being too urban or we're worried about safety or all these things. We're not really getting at the issue. Right. And I think we've made it really easy to not talk about the real issue, which is we're most comfortable when our kids aren't the only ones, Mm -hmm. when there's other white family, that that's actually what makes a school. Okay. There's research to show that both within Houston and nationwide. And I think until we talk openly about that, that's what people mean when they say high quality seats. How do we, we need to make more high quality seats. Well, that can't really be the answer because we've put magnet programs in poor schools and, and we don't, we white liberal people, white people in HIC don't put our kids there yeah. until there's other white people there. Yes. yes. So yeah, I, I it's, 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 it's tricky. Hard. It's hard yeah. stuff. Um, I'm just going to quick sidebar here. Um, the beautiful classical music that you guys probably hear <laughs> is because there is a dance rehearsal happening next door. So we're just going to like use it as sort of like an underscoring there for this beautiful I mean, conversation. Anything that happening. will calm me down about <laughs> HISD, anything that will help me like take a deep breath is great. Um, <laughs> so the third thing and this, so I was talking to a parent um, the other day and I would, not, I was not surprised by this conversation, but I was like, what do you do? So they're closing, they're, they're proposing to close 15 schools, which close or charter or charter. Um, and we were saying like some of these kids will get bust. And I was like, well, then they're not going to go to school. I mean, some of them are just not going to go to school. What, what do like, how does, how are we just going to let that happen? And we were both like, that's awful. That's just awful. But it's not our kids. I mean, it was like, I, it, it just like is that conversation that you have, like, but when you're talking about your own kids, you fight for your own kids, but like, how do you fight for other so, people's kids? I mean, I'll tell you, 
we can um, I want to talk more about that yeah. in a second but that is truly one of the reasons why so we we left my story is that we left the magnet program the highly coveted thousand person wait list thousand lovely person. wonderful nurturing magnet program to go to your neighborhood school not our neighborhood school our neighborhood school is also disproportionately white because we're very racially segregated in our residence also absolutely and, and, and right those two feed each other no, they're at another neighborhood school that is under-enrolled, a perfectly wonderful average so HISD you're, school. You're putting your money where your mouth is. Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. And uh, because of that exact reason, I could not stand in front of that board and say, do right by these kids if it's not my own skin in and the game. That is and, very and like, admirable. I, uh, so, um, and I will fight harder mm-hmm. because of it. And better because I know what the community that my kids are sitting in every day needs versus, oh, I think they need this from the outside. Right. So, and I mean, it's not been without its bump. There is a huge difference in the schooling that my kids are receiving. But I'm going to quote Nicole Hannah-Jones again because I love her so much and you guys will get tired of me doing that. But she's, you know, her latest challenge, one of her latest challenges that I heard is like, my kids are going to have 10 out of 10 privileges. I cannot, I can do nine out of 10. And they'll be okay. And I know that flies in the face of everything yeah. modern parenting tells you that education is so important. It's the most important thing. My parents have, my kids have two parents with graduate degrees. Yeah. And, and they're, I mean, they're going to be, they're going to be okay. They're going to be okay. Is I what think, I, so yeah, that's what I believe. Girl. You, so, that's anyways. the last oh. time I hung out with her and I came <laughs> I back and I was like, we're in it. We're in it to win it. We're going to that school. Well, I just think it's so, it's just, I don't know, it's another sidebar here. Just, it's just fascinating. Like the, the crosses that you, that you end up bearing in your life that you just don't even like think you're going to. Yes. Right. And then like you become a poster child for X, Y, and Z that you're like, if I would have looked into my future, yeah. I would have never thought right. this was going to be no, that's it. the path. That's it. But life kind of takes you where you need to be. Yeah. And you are fighting this battle for for a lot of people. For a lot of people, oh, yeah, well. which is amazing. Um, yeah. But back to the school closure uh, charterization thing, what you were talking about. Basically, HISD has, uh, I think they've cut it down to 14 schools now. Um, it's actually 10 that are at risk for of sanctions from the state. Right. But they've added an extra four and basically I think our theory is that they know this vote is going to be so hard that they only want to do it once (laughs) for a couple of years. Um, and yeah, the plan is to force six of the campuses literally close them at the end of the school year, rezone all of the kids that go there now, fire all the teachers and administrators. And then, yeah, there'll be presumably bus to schools that are further not in their neighborhoods um and then restart like whatever the lowest level is for that campus so if it's an elementary school start at kindergarten and then add a new with all new students so we're not so much as turning around to school as much as we are getting rid of everybody that was involved and then starting over starting over and then the chart then then for the other what is that eight schools they want to charter them partnership is the term that the district prefers to use um, through a perverse like uh, synergy between two bills that the Texas legislature has passed. One which says if you have schools that are failing for enough years, then the TEA can either close the schools mm-hmm. or take over the school board. 
take over the school board, a district of 283 something schools, um, take over all of the governance of all of them. As if they would want to. Who wants that job? So um, that's what they are breathing down in conjunction with this other bill that was passed last session that incentivizes charter schools, says if a district partners with them, they get two years off the accountability system plus like something like $1,000 extra per kid in a state where we are so cash strapped in school finance, can't afford anybody, anybody. but we've got $1,000 for you to go put it towards a charter school. Really, really uh, perverse. Um, in my opinion, no sense. Like I don't even, it doesn't, you can't even wrap your brain around it. Yeah. I mean, basically what it means for the partnership schools is that HISD will contract out, um, the management of the school. Each school will have its own board that's appointed and also something that's written into the proposed rules. They aren't even finished writing the rules, the administrative rules around the bill yet because it was passed last session. Um, but something that was in the rule, the proposed rules, was that all district policies would be waived. So you think about things like the non-discrimination ban, or non-discrimination policy, suspension ban, teachers not working lunches, teacher contracts, all, all, the teachers will have health insurance. All this work that the community of Houston has done over decades to build their policies around how our schools are run, all wiped out. Or at least would be two different sets of rules. Some policies would apply here but a whole different, the full policies apply over here to the, well, the high performing schools. Right. I mean, on the one hand, I think to myself, if I was managing something and it didn't work for X number of years, I would probably say this is not working and we need to rethink this and maybe we should shut down and, and start it over again. Um, but then when you're talking about kids' education, right? You, I mean, the step back is, well, why hasn't it been working? That's, right. that's what right. needs to be And I think that there is no silver bullet. I mean, yeah. you look at the research on turnarounds, and we've done it before. Kashmir and Sam Houston, they've been reconstituted. We've done this before, and no. nothing has mm-hmm. changed. Yeah. My bias is that this is poverty that we're bumping up against, yeah. which the legislature refuses to acknowledge. It's not, if you want to improve student outcomes and let's give their parents health insurance, right. let's give their parents affordable housing, God a minimum wage, right? Those, those will increase student outcomes. Yeah. And also our accountability system is flawed. How we label schools as failing or not failing is flawed. It's mm-hmm. based on SES and class. And you see it because all the schools that are being proposed are in poor black neighborhoods, with the exception of one, which is Latino. There's no white schools on the list. Right, right. So it's... uh, So, okay, so Sarah, how do you fix it, Sarah? So this is why it all comes back to integration. (laughs) But how do you you make that happen? I mean, Nicole Hannah-Jones has lots of solutions. Also, National Center for Diversity in Schools, I want to say, is the name of it, National Coalition for Diversity in Schools. Um, there's lots of policy things that the board could be doing, but yes, I think things like, um, making sure, I mean, this is basically what the administration is proposing right now. Let's make sure that our magnet schools are reflective of the population in HISD. Right. And so, right. So they're talking about making sure each magnet school takes an equal amount of kids from each quadrant. So it's kind of like an affirmative action. Right. Yes. You have to do that. And and the Supreme court has said it can't be about race, but they can be about class. So we can give weights to students in poverty and give them easier access and them at the front of the line. Houston is extremely segregated in terms of residential neighborhoods. I mean, right. But it's a very chicken and egg problem, right? Because we all, I am sure at least, in our conversations, where are we going to buy a house? Well, you want to be in a neighborhood with a good, quote unquote, good school. 
we I think we feed into it a lot. I think I also think parents have so much power and that's really you said you talked about integrated schools before on the podcast. I met my friend Courtney runs integrated school. She founded it um, basically for parents to recla- reclaim back some of that power. Those conversations on the playground or on the neighborhood Facebook page where I found Abby, like they're so powerful. That's way more powerful than anything else that the district is going to put out or any PR that you're going to hear. Mm-hmm. You yeah. want to know, okay, but what's the real scoop mom of the kid who has, who has their kid in the school? That's going to be more powerful. And so I do think... Yeah, I think we have to talk about as a community, my choice of where I put my kid isn't just, it can't just be about what's best for my kid. That's certainly part of it. I mean, that is just. No, that's. But it has to, because my choice affects you. It affects you. It affects my community. It affects affects the world. I mean, that's the the scary part. It's because we're so short-sighted. And I can tell you that I think my kids, I do think, it's not purely like it also isn't me making this some great sacrifice the, the school that my kids are at didn't doesn't need us they were doing just fine without us and my kids are benefiting like my kids I do think it would be really damaging for my kids to sit in a class that's 90 percent white for all of their life oh, and sure. never be around yeah, that's how Charlottesville sure. happens yeah so it it is not just you know, a one-way street, I guess, of the benefits of it. I will never forget going to a job interview at a private school here in Houston years and years and years ago, walking on the campus, being surrounded by white people, and being so shocked like not being familiar like feeling like I was an alien and it's not what I was used to I mean I was like I have to get out of here I mean I I, like I I, like rushed through the job interview (laughs) and I didn't realize like how um accustomed I was to diversity until there was none around me that's great that's um, great. And that's what I want for my kids, right? You want absolutely. your kids to be comfortable yes. Yes. with anybody, to learn how to be kind to anybody. At the end of the day, I feel like that's my job as their parent, right? Is if I really believe that being kind is more important than what you know, then it's my job to put you in the situation that's going to best facilitate that. Yeah. yeah. And I, I but mean, it's hard. It's it hard. is hard. It's, it's hard. hard. But I know. But it's I fun. agree. I, I mean, I had like what you said, like at, what you do with your kids at home is what you do with your kids at home, right? Like if you, if you want to instill writing and reading and all, like you will do it and they'll be fine. And that's not to say that they don't need to go to school. And you right. what if I only them, instill television? <laughs> some of that television is okay. I mean, she's learning Spanish from Dora. Yeah. She speaks Spanish now fluently. It's amazing. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Like care- full conversations, writing letters in Spanish. <laughs> Like letters to legislate. Oh, to legislate. I thought just like a no (laughs) ah no like letters. She's four, so whatever. She's brilliant. She's brilliant. She can go anywhere. (laughs) She she can teach us. Um, so the solution is there's none. There's none right now. Well, I mean there is. is, It is a systemic problem. I think that's the thing. I think number one, that's the issue. It's like yes, all of this is true, but also like. We all need health insurance and we all need, there yes. are things, there are basic human needs that are not being addressed on a state and federal level. Absolutely. Yeah. We need maternity leave. Right. We need, we need like kids who have the luxury of having their parents at home. Yes. Are going to start off on a better foot than kids whose parents are forced to go back to week to work two weeks later. Yes. Right. It's all connected. It's so connected. And, like, until we fix these, like, gigantic problems, like, how do you make headway on on the smaller level? You know, it all feeds into the same stream. 
And I guess like you're doing what you have to do, which is like you are starting small. You're yeah. not you're not just throwing up your hands and going, well, the problem's too big. It's beyond me. So right. I'll fuck it. I'll send my kids right. to a school that I want to go to. Yeah. I also said before we started, we shouldn't cuss on this episode. And <laughs> I've cussed three times. Yes. You're the only one. I'm the okay, only that's one. That's how it works. I'm the only one that's did it. That's yeah. did it. I'm also the dumb one. But I think you're right. I think since the since the election, whether we were for or against whatever happened, it seems like the country at large has been much more involved on for on local issues. We were against <laughs> because it's hard to <laughs> it's hard. It feels like it's hard to adjust to to make change on on a large national scale but you can as you are proving and you prove too i mean well i don't know you guys have we'll done see. <laughs> but, we'll see. Even but i think but i do think even yeah. if we just are having we just need to if we can start at least having the conversation and acknowledging maybe some of the ways that we go about these conversations are not the best yeah. we could start there yeah yeah then i think that that's something and then okay then how do we fix it and yeah you're right it's, it's totally overwhelming i do think we got to start talking about things like redrawing our boundary lines and yeah and this idea yeah. of what exactly does buying a house in a certain neighborhood entitle you to a spot at a school i don't know i don't know that it should um i don't it's know tricky. that's a maybe tricky we could go on magnet and just make sure every school, everybody's right? single kid, and, gets and we're going to put you wherever we want. I, I mean, I don't know. There's there's extreme ways of going about it. Do you know of any districts that are large urban school districts that are making it work in a way that works? I don't think so. I, I mean, mean are the there last, any that exist? La- no, I don't think so. And it is truly a nationwide problem, yeah. a nationwide like stain. Um, no, I mean, if you remember from the second episode in Nicole Hannah Jones podcast it's so depressing like they go look at the school districts that are actually intentionally working on integration and i think it's like the best is 50 percent that they're doing it and even that was like t- over 10 years and there's st- it's still like the black kids in the neighborhood still don't have access to the good school that's in their name na- they're still it's still very fraught right. it's very fraught and is this is this an exclusively american issue because that's we are question. such a melting pot or is this happening in other countries? Because, like, I'm curious about what's happening internationally. But, like, internationally, a lot of those families and those kids look the same. Yeah. Right. So, like, is this something that is American? I I don't know the answer of whether or not segregation in schools is an international problem. That's a really good question. Yeah. I do know... I think I don't know if either of you guys have ever heard of Robin D'Angelo. She does a lot of she's a white woman who does a lot of anti-racism. She's really great. But I was listening to her talk uh, yesterday and she said there is a profound anti-blackness in America. Yes. And I think that that sure. Yeah, that is specifically unique to America. I don't think anyone sure. could disagree with <laughs> no. that. And I mean, it's historical. It's like it's so ingrained. But right. you know what? Every time the president and the, these people that are in charge fly off the handle and say something so unbelievably yes. bananas. There's a part of me that goes, you know what? You're putting it in the bank right. of more people doing more things because every time you say something that is so insanely overtly racist and hate driven, more people are going to go do phone banks. More people are going to go block walks. So. More people <laughs> are donating to campaigns. Look so. what happened the last three what is it called midterm mid-year elections yeah you know i mean there are some things that are happening i think the true test will be what happens in 2018 right 
but it seems like pe- people are having conversations about race in ways in ways that they yeah. haven't like about this yeah about what's going on nationally what's happening in the white house like i think there are conversations that have been able to be latent that are no longer able to be latent. And it seems like we're in this period where it's so bad and it's so painful, but like, this is what provokes change. If you look at any, it's like birth. Yeah. (laughs) Right. I really, I know. I think about that every day. Like that, I am hopeful that we are birthed, that all that from all this pain, yes. right, comes yeah. rebirth. Beautiful, <laughs> right? Any, any, any movement, like civil rights movement, women's movement, you know, getting us access to voting, all of these big sort of cultural changes came on the backs of some serious, serious yeah. pain yeah. as a country. Absolutely. And we are so young still. When you think about it, we are very we young, are a very young country, and we have not figured it out. No. no, and it's no accident that we're in this place after the black president no. has left office. Of like not, I think so, it contributed for sure. Yeah. Um, <sighs> well, anyway, I think this is a pretty deep cut. <laughs> yeah, I should say, <laughs> but it's good. This well, is you guys should one. definitely go check out, and your listeners. Um, integrated schools they are on facebook it's my friend courtney um from la who heads it up and i found her on face at social media um but it's a great community of parents who are really struggling through these questions and trying to figure out you know how to do this and also how to do this in a way when you if you make the decision to go you know to a school where you're white and you're in the minority how to navigate that because it's not it's tricky yeah mm-hmm. um so and it's scary. I've, I mean, all these conversations are scary. Right, right, right. right. Yep. And, but talking with people who have done it was so helpful for me, you know, going into it. So integratedschools.org. Um, and also she's got a Facebook page. And then if you're in Houston and you want to learn, know more about HIC politics, we're HIC parent advocates. And we'll so definitely find share us. all that stuff yeah. on our Facebook page, too. And yeah, this anything. has been really been very enlightening. Fun. I agree. I am so glad you came. Oh, well, thank on. you guys for having yeah. me. I'm so happy to do it. Thank you for so sharing. nice to meet you today. I feel yeah. like I needed to meet you today. <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew it. Um, all right, nice. so we will see you guys next yeah, week. Tell us if you've had experience with it. Um, let us know what you think about this topic later. All right, bye. Do, 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 you can follow do, do, Hands Off Parents do, 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 on Twitter. Do, do, do. Hands off parents, or you can always send us an email at handsoffparents at gmail.com. Or if you look on Facebook, if you're into that thing, you can find us there as well. Hands off parents is Steph and Abby. Mail camp.